0: Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We continue our reading through Ephesians. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 9 this morning. Ephesians 6, 1 to 9. This is God's word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. "'Honor your father and your mother, "'which is the first commandment with promise, "'that it may be well with you "'and that you may live long on the earth. "'And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, "'but bring them up in the nurture "'and admonition of the Lord. "'Servants, be obedient to them "'that are your masters according to the flesh, "'with fear and trembling, "'in singleness of your heart as unto Christ.' Not with eye service, as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is their respective persons with him, Let's pray. Father, I pray that this morning these words from Ephesians would speak directly to us because this, we know, is a living and active word. I pray, Lord, that you'd make us alive to it and that you'd speak to each one of us, that every single one, Lord, here would hear your voice. And I pray, God, that you'd fill me with the Holy Spirit and you would glorify your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, last week, as most weeks, we've been looking at how grace affects our lives, right? And we've noticed, in particular, that grace, when it is working in our life, when grace is at work in our life, and when we're seeing the grace of God, and it's affecting us, It primarily affects our relationships with people and last week we looked at we're looking at three specific relationships at this point last week we looked at the first one which was husbands and wives and Paul as he's already dealt with some general relationships he's now looking at specific relationships the first was husbands and wives and he's showing us how grace affects our relationships with our husbands and with our wives and now he's going to look at the other two, or we're going to look at what he says about the other two, which is parents and children, and servants and masters. In his day, that would be slaves and masters, and in our day, it'd be more applicable to employees and employers. But I just want to say this that we've been spending a lot of time, and yeah, and AIDS, <laughs> that's right, Kim and AIDS, <laughs> but uh, we've been spending a lot of time in the practical section of the epistle right and so oh we got Kim going now <laughs> I got to remember not to make any Kim comments <laughs> um, we've been spending a lot of time in the practical section of the epistle and so what happens is sometimes we can forget a lot of what we talked about before in the doctrine all right and we forget that everything in the practical section Flows out of what we saw and learned in the doctrinal portion of the epistle. I just want to remind us, remember that section in chapter one where Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus that they would have wisdom and revelation by the Spirit? Do you remember that? That Paul prays, he says, that God would grant you by his spirit, that you would have wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. To know what? Do you remember? There's three awesome things. And we should never forget these things. He, that God wants you to know, each one of you here today, God wants you to know what is the hope of his calling. Not just that you have hope, but what it is. What an amazing hope you have in Christ. God wants you to see that in Christ. He also wants you to see what the riches are of, of the inheritance that is in the saints. What is the riches of the inheritance that we have and that God has? This rich thing that God is doing, he wants us to see that. And he also wants us to see what was the last one, do you remember? It was the excellency of the power or the greatness of the power that works towards us. So I just want to remind us this morning, did you know that we have an amazing hope that we looked at in Ephesians already? We have an amazing hope as Christians and we have a rich inheritance in God. And God's power is at work toward us in an amazingly powerful way. God's power is working towards everyone who believes in him. And so at that time, I gave a challenge that we would pray for one another as you remember them throughout your day, that you would pray for them, that they would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. And I just want to re-challenge you to do that and not to forget that. And let us not forget, because we've been spending so time in these practical sections, let's not forget where all this comes from. It comes out of us knowing the God, God's grace. So let's pray for one another in that. Can we remember that? So that's just the challenge restated, okay? So the three specific relationships: husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and servants, but actually. The way Paul lists them is in the reverse order. He always starts with the subordinate. So he starts with wives and husbands, children and parents, servants and masters. He always starts with the subordinate first. Probably because in verse 21, where this is kind of jumping out of, he's talking about submission. Submission to one another in the fear of God. So children... I'm going to primarily address you now. The Bible now is speaking to you. Isn't it neat how the Bible talks to children? Isn't that cool? Sometimes you think of the Bible, and and it's true, there's a lot of things in the Bible that is over children's heads. Well, grant that. There's a lot of scripture that if you would read it to a child, it's just, what does that mean? But God also has verses in here specifically addressed to kids specifically addressed so they can understand. So here's one of them. Now we talked last week about what, there's only one thing commanded here, by the way, to, for a child. He's not going to write a whole book on this, guys. So Caden so and Jonathan and Casey and everyone else who's young, he doesn't write a whole book. He just says one thing. Now what is that that he says to children? Do you see it in verse 1? He says, Children... Obey your parents. That's all he says. Children, obey your parents. And last week we said that because of the curse, thorns grow, right, in our lives. And so with wives, the thorns that grow in their lives is a lack of submission to the husband. With husbands, the thorns that grow is a lack of love to the wife. And with kids, can you guess what it is? What are the bad thorns that grow in kids? Disobeying your parents, right? That was from Alan, <laughs> the experienced one. <laughs> so, did you know that because we're sinners, because we sinned at the very beginning in Adam and Eve, there's a really bad nature in you that disobeys your parents? It's bad that, that, a bad thing that grows in you naturally. You don't have to make that grow. Do you have to make weeds grow, Caden? Do you have to go out and plant weeds? You have to go out and pull weeds, right? But what do you have to plant? Flowers, right? We plant flowers and we pull weeds. And what happens if you don't pull weeds? Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) See, weeds are something that just grows naturally out of the ground. And disobedience to your parents is just something that naturally springs out of your heart, it comes from your heart. A rebellion against God's authority in your life. Because God is the one who placed these people in your life. He designed the whole process. He designed family. And so to rebel against your parents is also to rebel against God. That's why here in verse 1 it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Obedience to parents. What does obedience mean? Because sometimes we can just use the word and not even know what that means. We kind of think we know what it means. But here's what it means. And tell me if this, is not, if this does not ring true. Obedience is when you listen to your parents. It's when you listen to your parents. And that doesn't just mean you hear their words garbling in your ear. You ever heard it? You've ever watched Charlie Brown before? Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> that's how the adult's voice sounds in charlie brown that's not what the bible means when it says obedience and listening listening is not just hearing their voice garble in the sounds of it but it's actually listening attentively to your parents and listening with a view to obey what they say it even means listening readily listening eagerly so when your parents talk you stop everything and you listen does that ring true in your life Now, the thorns, do do you think that the thorns of the fall of man, the thorns of sin, make you naturally drop everything and listen to your parents eagerly? No, right? This is something that God is telling you to do. This is something that doesn't happen automatically. It's something that you have to choose to do, that you choose to do. Obedience. Now, when I was younger, when I lived at home, I would disobey my parents, yes I would because <laughs> I'm a sinner and it would naturally grow. And you know what would happen when I disobeyed my parents? They would tell me something and I'd disobey or I would think I know better than them. I would find out that I was wrong and they were right. I would find out that their way was the right way and because I disobeyed them I had to suffer a lot. But. That is not the reason why we're supposed to obey. Now, even though obeying your parents does produce a good result and they are usually right, that's not the reason why we're to obey. The reason it says in verse 1 is not just because it's practical and they know the right answers, but because it's, it itself is right to obey your parents. It itself, obeying your parents, even if they maybe were wrong, is right in the Lord did you know that every civilization that's ever existed as far back as you can go and into the future always has known that children ought to obey their parents that's always been a part of their understanding of what is right and what is wrong do you know why that is so what oh true yeah I mean it's practical but that's because God actually has given us a knowledge of right and wrong. So to disobey your parents, even if you're not a Christian in any culture, it's not, this is not just a Christian thing, this is not just because we read the Bible that we know this, but in any culture that you go, you can get on a plane and fly anywhere, and you'll find that in that culture, obedience to parents is known to be right. And that is because God is the one who put that knowledge in their hearts. And so as Christians, as Christians, or as kids who are raised in a Christian home, now we know, why should I obey my parents? Yes, I know it, I sense that it's right, but beyond that, I know that God is the one who's telling me to do this. And so in verse one, this is what it's saying, kids. Obey your parents. Why? Because the Lord, because the Lord wants you to do that. In the Lord, or with a view to God, you know that this is what God desires for you. That is why you ought to obey your parents in the Lord for its right. Now, did you know in Colossians chapter 3 verse 20, Paul says the exact same thing, children obey your parents, but he adds one thing. He says in all things. And this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. So how much does God tell us to obey our parents? In some things? Or in all things? All things, right? In all things. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? What do you think? Is that a big, is that a big order from God? To obey your parents in all things is what God tells us to do. Not just, because sometimes it's easy to obey your parents because maybe you just don't have anything going on, right? I'm bored, you might say. And your parents say, well, do this. And you go, okay, that's a good idea. What about when you're not bored? What about when you want to do something and your parents say, well, you can't do that right now because I want you to do this or you need to do this? Do you say, ah, come on, you have a bad attitude? In all things, God tells us to obey our parents. Now look at verse 2. Paul says the same thing in just a slightly different way. And he quotes the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. So obedience is the action. I'm obeying my parents. That's what I'm doing. But honoring them is why you're doing it. Honoring them is your attitude that makes you obey, that motivates you to obey. Honor for your parents or respecting your parents. Now... Do you guys know that there's a difference between action and attitude? Are you aware of that? Have you ever obeyed your parents with a bad attitude? You ever done that? No? God is not, God doesn't, that's not well pleasing to God to obey your parents with a bad attitude because you're not honoring them as your parents. It's not coming from your heart. So just doing what your parents tell you to do, but dragging your feet and saying, oh, this is dumb and I don't want to do this, that's not honoring to your parents at all. Honoring to your parents is when in your heart you consider them as your parents, that they're the authority in your life. God has put them there. God wants you to obey them. And because they're your authority in your life, when they say to do something, you say, okay, I'll do this action with a good attitude. I'll honor my parents. It's considering them and not just yourself. Not just what you want to do, but what your parents want you to do. And you know, it's important to consider your parents too because they give you everything. You know that? I think one of the reasons why we have such bad attitudes when, when our parents tell us to do something because we're not thinking of them at all. Who are we thinking of? Ourselves, right? We're just thinking about what we want to do and what we don't want to do. We're not thinking about our parents and the, the labor of love that they give us, did you know that you wouldn't even exist if it wasn't for your parents. You wouldn't be able to be playing that game if it wasn't for your parents. You wouldn't be able to go skateboarding if it wasn't for your parents. You wouldn't be able to play on the piano or read a book if it wasn't for your parents. And when your parents ask you to do something, you're like, ah, I want to read this book. And you just completely aren't even thinking of the fact that you wouldn't be able to even do what you're doing if it wasn't for them. And on top of that, do you pay money to your parents or do they take care of all you? Everything that you eat and everything, your schooling and your clothes and your bed. Who pays for that? Your parents, right? So I'm just saying that because with kids, Often we don't consider our parents. We don't think of them. And learning to live a life of grace is learning to think of other people, just as God thought of us, right? Isn't it a good thing that God thought of us? What if God didn't think of us? What if he just thought about himself? And he said, you know, I'm content just on my own in heaven, and and these people don't even deserve me to think about them and be kind and to consider their plight. God didn't think like that. God thought of us, even though we were sinners. God didn't want us to go to hell. God loved us so much that he came and he died on the cross for us. He laid his life down for us because he was thinking of us so much. And so grace teaches us children to honor and think about our parents. Isn't that awesome? So when we don't honor our parents, we are not thinking. We're not thinking rationally. We're not thinking graciously. We're not thinking the way God wants us to think. So there's action and there's attitude that God is calling us to, kids. Action and attitude. Obeying your parents with a good attitude. Considering them. Now, Paul, does he quote the Old Testament because he's putting us under the law? He quotes the Old Testament here, verse 2 and 3. He actually quotes from the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. So in the Ten Commandments, Paul says this is the first one that has a promise. This is the first one that God says, if you do this, guess what? You'll live long on the earth, verse 3, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, Paul is not quoting that to put us under the law. Why does Paul quote the Old Testament if we're not under the law and we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments anymore, if our obedience should be because of grace and from our hearts and not because the law is going to smack us. Paul quotes the Old Testament for a couple reasons. He often cites the law to show us how dear to the heart of God it is, because the law reveals, it, reveals to us God's heart, God's heart about matters. Don't steal and honor your parents as dear to God's heart. Now, it doesn't address the motivation, but it shows us that those things are in God's heart and in his character and in his righteousness. So Paul appeals to the law just saying, look, even the law says this. He also shows how everlasting this commandment is, how it's not something new. Paul is not saying anything new. This is an old commandment from God. This is something that God wants kids to do, wanted kids to do 5,000 years ago and in 200 years from now. And also, he, sh- he quotes the law to show us that love fulfills the law, that as we love and walk in grace, we're actually fulfilling the law. But we're not under the law, because in the law, did you know, guys, kids, in the law, if a, if a child didn't obey their parents, do you know what would happen to them? What do you think? Would they go to the corner? Would they have a timeout? Did, grounded? Do you know what would happen to kids who didn't obey the law, obey their parents in in the law? They would be killed. That's what the Bible says. In the law, God said any child who does not obey and even says listen to their parents, who's a rebellious child who doesn't listen to them and respect their authority, is to be put to death. That's what it says. The whole community would come out and stone the kid. Did you know that? That's serious stuff to God. That just tells us how serious this is to God. But thankfully, we're not under the law anymore, right? Thankfully, we don't have to kill kids anymore when they disobey the parents. Because the bottom line is, we are very sinful, aren't we? And God has shown us grace by saving us from the law. He has saved us from condemnation and death. That's how much God loves kids. God loves kids so much, he, wants to, he wanted to save them from even the punishment of the law. So anyone who says we're under the law usually ignores that one. You know, There's a lot of Christians who think we have to live by the law, but they only pick and choose what parts of the law that they think we're supposed to live by. We're not to live by the law at all. And Paul just quotes the law to show us that it's a, not a new thing that he's saying, that it's dear to the heart of God, but not to show us that we're to live by it. Okay? Does that make sense? Now here's a question that was, that's often asked to me and actually was recently asked me at the fair, what about abusive parents, and what about parents that are, are, they tell you to do things that are wrong? What about that in relation to obeying your parents and honoring your parents? How does that work? What happens if you have a really, really sinful and bad parent who's abusive? Let me just say two things. One, God does not want children to obey their parents if their parents tell them to do something that's wrong. So what if your parent says, Caden, I want you to rob Zion's bank tomorrow, okay? <laughs> okay? God doesn't want you to go and do that, okay? So if a parent tells you to do something that's, that's actually sinful and wrong, God wouldn't want you to obey them. In that. However, if a bad parent, if a parent who's abusive, tells you to do something that's not wrong, like take out the trash, God would expect you to honor them as your parents and take out the trash, even if they are abusive. The other thing I'll say is this that an abusive parent, God is the one who's their judge, right? God is the one who sees all that happens in, behind closed doors. Because often with abuse in a home, people don't know what goes on. But God knows what goes on. And the Bible says that God is the judge who will take vengeance. He's the one who will deal with it. Whether it's in this life or in the next life, God will deal with abusive parents. And we are not according to scripture, to harbor revenge or hate in our hearts towards our parents. And that's tough, right? Because when somebody sins against us, when somebody does things that are evil to us, often we naturally want to get back at them in revenge, in anger, in bitterness and hatred. Grace teaches us not to do that. Grace teaches us to love our enemies and even to love enemies our parents who are abusive to us. So that's not meaning we're condoning what they're doing. That doesn't mean we're happy about what we're doing. But that means that our hearts are not filled with bitterness and hatred towards those who hurt us and those who do those things to us. And oftentimes, because of a lack of grace in the heart, a lack of understanding that Christ loved us even when we did not deserve it, so that now we can love others even when they don't deserve it. We're not even saying here that parents deserve to be treated well. We're saying treat them in a way they don't deserve. Love them anyway. Respect them anyway. Honor them anyway. But oftentimes, that's not the case. In an abusive situation, it just produces bitterness. God wants to free people from bitterness. God wants to free kids from bitterness against their parents. He wants to free parents from bitterness against their parents. He wants to free people from bitterness against anyone who's ever done anything wrong to you. And he wants us to live lives of forgiveness and love, just as he forgave and loved us. So that's what I have to say about that. So even in a situation where you have an abusive and bad parent, that doesn't mean you are happy about it. That doesn't mean you condone it. That doesn't mean you obey them when they say to do things that are wrong. But it also doesn't mean you hate them or are bitter against them. You can still love them and forgive them and honor them as your parents and act in love to them and maybe love means turning them in maybe love means saying no when they tell you to do something that's not right so love doesn't always mean just complying with everything but love does mean that in your heart you're free from bitterness now i just want to share before we move on to the next section here about parents uh, just an experience that I had when I was younger with with the Lord and him teaching about my parents and honoring them. I was about 16 years old It was right after God really got a hold of my life and I was reading the Bible and he was teaching me things and one night I was sitting with a friend of mine and uh, I was actually we were in um, a little island called Grand Manan in New Brun- in the Maritimes, not New Brunswick. But uh, And we were at someone's house, and it was nighttime, and we were sharing a room. And at night, we just thought we'd do some devotions. So we picked up our Bibles, and we turned to Proverbs. And we just thought we'd read from Proverbs chapter 1. And before we started, we were just discussing it. And we said, you know, Solomon was the wisest man in the world, the Bible says. There's no one more wise than Solomon. Do you remember that in the Bible? King Solomon was given wisdom from God beyond anybody else. And we were just thinking about it. The wisest man in the world. And wow, the wisest man in the world wrote us a book. Isn't that awesome? Like We have a book written by the wisest man in the world before us. And then the, the question came to me. I thought, boys, if I were the wisest man in the world and I was to write a book, what would I write first? What would I write first? Have you ever thought about that? Imagine you were the wisest person in the whole world. You sat down with a blank piece of paper. You have a pen. What would the first thing be that you write? And we thought about it, and we thought about it, because we were really intrigued by this question. And then we opened it, and we looked. And there's a little introduction in Proverbs just explaining what the book is about, the Proverbs of Solomon to teach wisdom and all that. But when that little section is over, Paul starts, or, excuse me, Solomon See, I'm too much in the New Testament. Solomon starts to give his, his wisdom to us. And the first thing he says is to listen to your parents. This is the first thing he says. And if you don't like that, then you flip over to chapter 10 when it says the beginning of the wisdom of Solomon, or the Proverbs of Solomon. And the very first one in chapter 10 is, again, a wise son makes glad his father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. First one he says, again, in chapter 1 and chapter 10, the wisest man in the world. And that, that impacted my friend and I so much. We were truly broken when we read that. We were truly broken and convicted. And we just saw at that moment God's wisdom in his heart for kids, for youth, for young people, that God wants us to honor our parents. Because that's that's the first thing as kids, isn't it? We don't understand a lot of things as kids, but as kids, we're under our parents. And the first thing to, to get that tree growing right is to obey and honor the authority of God in your life. We were so impacted by that. And I remember that was a turning point in my life because at that point, I sought from that point to honor my parents. And I can tell you that I believe that one of the secrets of life, let me just tell this to you guys, one of the secrets of life is to honor your parents. If you honor your parents, God blesses you with, it will be well, it says. It's just how it works. Whether it's just a practical outworking or what. The secret of life is to honor your parents. If you want to have a blessed life, or if you want to have a miserable life, if you want to have a miserable life, then just ignore everything I'm saying right now. If you want to be blessed, if you want to walk in peace and joy in life as you grow up and have a good relationship with your parents, then honor them now and catch this. All right? And by the way, this isn't just for young people. This is also for adults, too. Because as adults, we still have parents, don't we? And this also applies to us as, well, as we get older. Actually, as we get older, the Bible still calls us to honor our parents. The Jewish people actually saw that verse, honoring your parents, as, as applying much to when you're older, when you take care of your elderly parents. Because often what happens when you get older, when, you're, when your parents get older, if you don't already love them in your heart, what are you going to do? Just stick them in a corner, right? I just wish you'd die quick so you're off my hands. So as we get older, this applies also. So children, because we're still children, aren't we? Even when we're 50. Honor your parents as they get older as well. And respect them. Speak well of them. Don't disrespect them. And hearken to what they say. All right. Now verse 4. Parents. Now he turns to parents. Now, if... If God calls us to honor our parents and to obey them, that's a huge responsibility for parents, isn't it? If God is telling kids to obey their parents, then that means parents have a huge responsibility because now you've got these people, real people who are under your authority and under your instruction, right? And if they're listening to you under God and you have a responsibility under God to raise them, Now, it's interesting that fathers are primarily addressed here. Even though in view it's parents and children, but we see that he speaks to the fathers. And that's because primarily fathers are responsible for the upbringing of their kids. That doesn't mean the mother doesn't have any role in this. So the mother should listen intently here. But the father is primarily the one who's responsible as the head of the home to the upbringing of the children. And Brad, you shared with me yesterday a statistic that that if a father is a a Christian, depending on what the father believes, not necessarily if they're a Christian, but depending on what the father believes, the children will go. If the father doesn't believe in God and the mother does, typically the children don't go, uh, don't have faith. But if the father does believe in God and the mother doesn't, Typically, the children will follow the father. The father is what God has put in the family as the example and the role model, it seems. The mother has her role as well. But as goes the father, it seems. This is, there's exceptions, of course. But as goes the father, so goes the family. So Paul here addresses the fathers in particular. And he gives a positive and a negative exhortation. And these are set in contrast to one another. So you can kind of catch what he's saying by seeing them in contrast to each other. They're not isolated. Here's what he says. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. That's the negative exhortation. But the positive exhortation is this. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to suggest this, that... No matter what you do as a father, you will bring up your kids. No matter what you do. Whether you bring them up bad or whether you bring them up good, you will bring them up. And what Paul has in view here when he's exhorting fathers is how you bring them up. Not just bring them up, but you will do that. How you bring them up is what is in view. Whether you're going to bring them up and provoke them to wrath, or whether you're going to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. These are the two things that set in contrast to one another. How you bring them up. Often, I hear, and you've probably heard from people, they say, I hate my father, as they're older now. Maybe when they're young, they say it too, but when they're older and they look back, I hate my father. They were brought up by him, and now they hate him. And it's usually because their father was abusive or he punished them and he was mean. Or it could also be, and this is also equally true, he wasn't ever around. Or maybe he was around and he never did anything with the kids at all. He never even disciplined them. And in the end, they hate him for that. So either he was too punishing. He didn't love us. He just wanted us to shut up all the time. Or he didn't care about us at all. We were just non-existent to him. And they say, I hate my father because of this. Provoking their children to wrath by their behavior. Being too severe with your kids provokes them to wrath. Brothers and sisters, being punishing to your kids, not disciplining them in love, but punishing them out of frustration provokes them to wrath. Expecting things of them that God does not expect of them provokes them to wrath but also ignoring them altogether also provokes them to wrath. The opposite of this, however, is bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How does God want us to raise our kids? How does God instruct us? Is there any instruction at all? Well, let me just make a few points about raising your kids in the nurture and admonition of the lord the how of doing that first of all love your kids by disciplining them the bible says that god the father the father chastens those those who he loves so he's actively involved in the kid's life in his children's lives Did you know that God is actively involved in your life if you're a Christian? That God isn't just your father, but he's like away on business all the time. Do you know that? God is actively involved in your life as a good father. And do you know how he's actively involved in your life? He disciplines you. And he disciplines you because he loves you. He does not discipline you because he's annoyed or frustrated with you. And many Christians think that about God. Oh, he did this to me because I sinned and he's frustrated with me. No, not true. But God does discipline us. He does not punish us as Christians. He disciplines us as his children in love. So fathers, one thing we can learn from God the Father is to be active in the upbringing of our children, in disciplining them in love. And that is, of course, for their good, not for your convenience. I'm sick of my kid doing this. I'm upset. I'm going to punish them. Go to, the, go to your room or whatever. I'll tell you, a kid knows whether you're doing that in love or whether you're doing that in selfishness. A kid knows that. If you do it in selfishness, they're going to be provoked to wrath. They're going to go to the room and be like, ugh, I can't stand it. Right? Can't stand it. Because, I, yes, I did something wrong, I know, but why am I punished when he did something wrong, too? He doesn't respect that. So, Disciplining in love when they know they're in that room because you love them. This is the way God wants us to raise our kids. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Actually, just hold on. I'll turn to 1 Thessalonians 2. I've got it written right here. Let me just read a description of a father's behavior towards his kids here in the scripture. 1 Thessalonians 2 10 to 11. If you do want to write the reference down, it says this: "You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you that believe." This is Paul talking about his visit to Thessalonica. You know how blameless we were among you, as you know how we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you as a father does his children. That's what he says. What did he say they did? They exhorted, they encouraged, and they charged everyone as a father does his children. Here we learn a few things about being a father. A father is to exhort or instruct their kids. But they're not merely to instruct their kids and be saying, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do, Casey. This is what you're supposed to do, Nathaniel. A father also is to encourage their kids. Not simply instruct, but encourage them. Some translations even use the word comfort, but the word is encourage. And to charge, or to testify and witness, to instruct, to encourage, and to charge and testify to their kids. I like the Amplified uh, version of this. Listen to what the Amplified says here we used to exhort each one of you personally, stimulating and encouraging and charging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and the glorious blessedness. This is the mindset for fathers towards their kids. God has called us by his grace into his kingdom and blessedness. And I'm instructing you. I'm encouraging you. I'm charging. I'm stimulating you. I'm your coach here to get you there. One day these kids aren't going to be kids anymore. They're going to—they're people. And as fathers, we see them as beloved of God. Those for whom Christ died for. Those for whom God is calling to his own blessedness, just as he's calling you. Did you know in heaven, you're both going to be on the same page? Sinners saved by grace. You'll both not be kids or old people anymore. God is calling us all and the father sees that in his kids. So a father's like a coach teaching how to do it, instructing, encouraging. This is the key. As a matter of fact, this is so the key because in Colossians, in the parallel passage, it says, fathers, don't discourage your kids. Don't provoke them to wrath lest they be discouraged. I think what the Bible is saying is that the main role of a father is to encourage his children and not to discourage them and not to throw the wet blanket on them and not to overbear them like the Pharisees. You put Burdens on their back you don't even lift, or you have the key of knowledge you don't let them in. You know, a father should be like at the door, like, "Come on in, let me help you, let me take that load off your back, let me encourage you, let me instruct you, let me see you there. Let's both get there." Encouragement is what God calls fathers to give to their children. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful that God has blessed us with an encourager and a coach and an instructor right from the very moment we're born into this world? That's God's design. Unfortunately, Satan steals and kills that in so many lives. But God's design is that every child that's born into the world is born into a family that loves them with a head that will see them all the way there. Isn't that awesome? And doesn't that just describe our relationship with God? And when we get born again and God becomes our father, he is going to see us there. And he doesn't fail. That's all I'll say about that. Now, last section here before we close, servants and masters. Verse 5 to 9 slaves and masters. Does this apply to us? Of course it does. But let me just say this. Now, the New Testament is criticized. Paul and the apostles are criticized because of what they say about servants or slaves and masters. I want you to know, did you know that critics of Christianity, critics of the New Testament They point to these verses and they say, why didn't Paul preach against slavery? Now, we don't live in a day right now, in our our culture, in our society, where there is slavery that's acceptable, right? There There is slavery that's unacceptable. But in Paul's day, slavery was an accepted institution in his day. There were a lot of slaves. Did you know that there is estimated, it is estimated there was 60 million slaves. I think I already shared that figure back when we talked about Christ redeeming us. There were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And just so you know, and you can put that figure into some context, the Roman Empire had approximately 100 million people in it. 100 million people at that time That existed in the Roman Empire. That means roughly half of the Roman Empire was slaves at that time. More than half, probably, were slaves. That means one out of every two people were slaves. And the critics say, well, why didn't Paul say to the slaves, slaves? What these guys are doing to you is wrong. God does not acknowledge this institution. You don't have to submit to something that's so unjust. God wants you to be free. So what you should do is, this is what the modern humanists would say, you, look how many of us there are, 60 million. Now, why didn't Paul, with his apostolic authority, because people were, people were devouring the scriptures at the time, the scriptures were influential because they were coming from God to man. Why didn't Paul say, slaves, just with 60 million of you, just stand up and strike and say, it's done. God is abolishing slavery from henceforth. Why didn't Paul do that? Why did he condone slavery? Why didn't he speak about it? Why, on the other hand, why did he tell the slaves to submit to their masters? Not only does he not say that it's wrong and that they should rebel and strike, he actually tells them to do the opposite. He actually tells them to submit, to do their, their master good. Why? And they criticize this. Surely this can't be from God. Surely this is wrong, what he did. Why didn't he write to the masters and say, Masters, it's not right for you to have a slave. How would you like to be a slave? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Let your slaves go free. Why didn't he say that? Let me say this, that critics like that are naive and ignorant of God's ways. There's a practical reason why Paul didn't say that, and there's a spiritual reason why Paul didn't say that. God's purpose... God's purpose is not to change the institutions. God's purpose is to change our hearts, not just our behavior. At in Paul's day, brothers and sisters, slaves were not seen as people. They were seen as tools. Aristotle made a famous comment that kind of sums up people's view of slaves in that day. And he basically says, a slave is just a tool and no more. That's all. Slaves were not seen as having any value. Slaves could be killed at any time and often were. If a master was murdered, all the slaves would be killed that he had. And there's even an incident when hundreds of slaves were killed just because the master was killed at one time. Just... Put them all to death. They're not anything. They're just property. They're just tools. There was not the heart in people at that time. And so changing the institution would have been like changing someone's behavior, as we've talked about. You can force somebody to change their behavior, but their heart isn't changed. If you just said, Set all the f- Let, let's just strike right now. No more slavery. Let's just strike. That would cause civil war, Guaranteed. You see, that would not just be like, oh, yeah, let's just do it. This is great. People wouldn't willingly give that up. That would demolish the social order of Rome completely. And Paul wasn't about to do that. He wasn't after doing that. That wasn't his purpose. What his purpose was getting at the heart. And you know what he teaches here? He teaches the value of the slave. What Paul teaches here in Ephesians chapter 6 about slaves and masters undercuts slavery at its root, not at its branches. And this teaching is directly responsible for eventually the downfall of slavery. Why, is it, why does it take so long for people? Because we are not, our hearts are dull, and we often get bad teaching. We know that for a long time, the truth of grace was not taught. But here it was, sitting here, a teaching sufficient to bring down the whole institution, not by attacking the institution, but by attacking the heart of man. This is a new perspective. This, what he says here, is radical transforming stuff in his day. For us, it's like, what is it? And for us, it applies to employees and employers, it does. But that's not so radical as what it was in Paul's day. And he does the opposite of what we'd expect. He says, servants... Here's basically what he says. Servants, just love your masters. And guess what? They're only your masters according to the flesh. Your identity is not a slave. If you're in Christ, you are free. You are not a slave. See, the old way of bust down the institution is still only seeing your identity as a slave. You're a slave, and you shouldn't be a slave, and you should break out of this slavery. But Paul's saying to the slaves, no, no, you need to start seeing yourself from heaven's perspective now. You aren't a slave. You're actually a free man in Christ Jesus. And he's only your master according to the flesh. In the spirit, he's not your master at all. You know how you should treat him? You should treat him as if he were the Lord. You should love him and serve him and consider him and, and behave in goodwill towards him as unto the Lord. Change your attitude. Don't see yourself as slaving after this master. See yourself as serving him as unto the Lord, just like we would serve anyone as unto the Lord. He's totally changing their perspective. He's radically influencing their hearts and their minds. So that no longer does the slave see themselves as a slave under this master who has to work. Now he's seeing himself in a great privileged position to shine up grace. Now he's seeing himself as a servant to this guy. And he's just serving the Lord and serving this man. Do you see how this is radically affecting his mind? And what does he sell to the master? Do the same thing. That's what he says in verse 9. Masters, do the same thing. Do what? Forbear threatening. See this guy not just as a slave, but see him as a person beloved by God. See him as a brother if he's a Christian. See him if he's a sinner, as one that Christ died for. See this person with value and dignity and be kind to him. See how he's getting at the heart of the whole incident. At one time, Paul was in prison and a slave ran away and was caught. What did Paul do? Say, you're free, just, you know, don't go back. He actually sent him back to his master. And he said to the master, don't receive him as a slave, receive him as a brother. But he's going back as a slave. So Paul was radical. This is radical stuff, transforming their perspective from earth to heaven. And let me say this in application to our own lives, as we have jobs, like Sean has a job now, and Elliot and Nathaniel have been working, and Alan has a job that he works for, and Brad and I, but, and Bethany too, and Deanna, and everybody. Um, I'm speaking personally. Um, so long as we see ourselves only from an earthly perspective. You see yourself as, I have to go to work. I have to obey my foreman or my my boss. As long as we do that, do you know what the result of that will be? The result of that will be is what Paul encourages us here and exhorts us not to do. That will be man-pleasing. That will be you cutting as many corners as you possibly can That will be you working as little as you possibly can just so that you can get by and get paid because your heart's not really in it. You just have to do it. And because whenever we have to do something, we naturally rebel against it, right? Whenever we have to. That's legalism. That's how it works. But now God is encouraging us all, whether we're slaves and masters or employees or employers, see now what you do at work. When you go to Chili's, when you go to Hamilton's, See what you do at work, not as you have to do this to get paid, you have to do this. See it from heaven now. You are going as an ambassador for Christ to serve the Lord, to love people, to do your best as unto the Lord. And that will radically transform what you do. Brad, you once asked the question, when do we do something better? Do we do something better when we have to or when we want to? And it's when we want to do something that we do a better job of it. And in closing, I'll just say this. There was a, a medical doctor. He was actually the Surgeon General of the United States. His name was Dr. C. Everett Koop. He gave a talk once in England to a medical society, and the talk was on, does being a Christian make you a better doctor or a worse doctor? And his conclusion was that as Christians, and with our Christian faith and our understanding of God's view of men. It makes us better doctors. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens to people because I'm just so heavenly minded. And that's, not, that's not the view. Being heavenly minded means suddenly your life on earth is enhanced and suddenly you see things from a new perspective and it changes the way you work. So, brothers and sisters, as we go to work, our faith ought to make us Better employees, better employers, better masters, better slaves. Because we're not just seeing things from earthly perspectives. I have to, I have to, I have to. But from heaven's perspective and grace, I get to serve the Lord today at Chili's. So learning to walk in grace changes everything in our families and in our work. So may God help us to see that every day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the transforming power of grace. Thank you, God, for your ways that are higher than our ways. And help us to understand your ways. Help us to see that your ways are so opposite the way of the world. And that you call each of us, children, to be considerate and not selfish. Parents to be considerate and not selfish. Employees, employers to be considerate and not selfish. Help us to see from heaven's perspective today and tomorrow, God, and throughout our lives. We give you glory for your amazing, amazing grace. In Jesus' name, amen.